have you ever felt divided? Like uh, sometimes spouses can be divided. We can uh, decide to raise our kids one way. We can, uh, while the other spouse wants to raise them separately. Uh, discipline can be a divisive issue in the family. Or maybe you're, you guys are on the same page, but you feel divided with your kids. Like you've got parents on one side, kids on the other. Or maybe brother and sister, you're divided for something. We can be divided in pretty much any relationship that we have. Like we can bring our own opinions and try to speak to them as if they're facts. And we can cause uh, just divisive issues between uh, coworkers, uh, people that go to school with us, people that we uh, do extracurricular activities with, um, just our own spouses. Like we can be divisive people. If we really want to be, and usually the reason why we're divisive is because we feel like our opinions matter or, or something that we want done matters. And it's very important to us. It can also creep into churches, like creep into churches in the way that uh, there are some things that matter with church and we put it on uh, the same height as, as the gospel, and we're going to take a look today at just um, in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, about these, something that divides them in, uh, in their church, in, between the Jews and the Gentiles. He even writes to the, uh, to the church in Galatia, uh, we're learning at student ministry, about something that they're adding to the gospel. And when we tend to add to the gospel we tend to be, bring up walls of division or something else that really shouldn't matter when it comes to salvation. And so the very first week we took a look at and we said, look, this week here means something because we have to shape, this shapes the entire rest of the book of Ephesians. The rest of the letter rests upon the work of God. And we started out with week one and said, look, it's God that does everything. Before the beginning of time, we have God and he makes this plan. And the plan is Jesus to, to come and actually save us from our own selves because we want to elevate ourselves to God in, in status. And we want to do what's right in our own eyes. And in the in the middle of life, we realize that something is wrong and we can't bridge a gap between us and the Creator. And so the Creator does something. He works for us. He works in us and He works through us. And He uh, just works and gives us the Holy Spirit that all through the plan of uh, time, through the span of time, we've got Jesus. He's plan A. He, there's no plan B. That's what we saw at first. And Paul, being the one that wrote this to the book, uh, this book to the church in Ephesus, he was a Jew among Jews. Like he was the religious, one of the high religious leaders of the day. And he, everything he had was devoted to the law. And then he experienced Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't seeking out Jesus. In fact, he was coming to destroy followers of the way, destroy what Jesus was teaching because it went against the law. And he brought death and destruction and chaos with him. And then you see that he was like, I was an apostle by the will, I was made an apostle to Jesus Christ by the will of God. Like nothing that I did. But what God did, and he transformed me so much that no longer do I bring death and destruction and chaos, I actually bring grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ. And he, he starts out the letter of Ephesians the, to the church 
that way. And he starts out the letter to Galatia, in Galatians that way. And so we're going to see here that the gospel is the only thing that matters to Paul. And Brandon talked about it last week. He said the gospel is this, is that Jesus came and did everything for us. Like it is nothing that we can do. It's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of any of our works because then we would boast in it. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've been able to accomplish. And so sometimes growing up, we think it this way. Like we've got to do something in order to get Jesus. Or we've got to do some works in order to please God. We've got to make ourselves perfect in order to receive salvation. And it's the flip of the gospel. We don't work in any form, to get salvation. In fact, what the gospel is, is what Brandon talked about last week. It is salvation through Jesus and what he did on the cross. We receive his grace, his love, his mercy, and it transforms us in Ephesians 2.10, right after the whole gospel, it shows that God created us as a workmanship. This idea that we're his work of art. We actually get the R word poem from the Greek word workmanship. And so it's this idea that this author has written a song about our lives. So he's created art through us. We are his workmanship in order to do good works through Jesus. And they've been uh, pretty much laid out beforehand so that we can walk in them. That's the idea of two t- Ephesians 2.10, that we are saved to have a purpose in life. So we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and go through the rest of the chapter. And we're going to see that people are adding to the gospel here. And, that in or, and because they're adding something to the gospel, it's bringing up this wall of division. And we do that in church today. Like we're going to see what they dealt with last, uh, in that time, but today we do it too. We say it's Jesus plus baptism. Like you've got to be baptized in order to be a follower of Jesus, and that's not true. It's Jesus plus two types of baptism, water baptism and baptism by the Spirit. Or it's Jesus and tithing. Like you need to give 10%, 20%, 30% of your income to the church. Or it's Jesus plus whatever, fill in the blank. And in student ministry, we, we make this clear. Jesus plus anything else negates everything. It's a false gospel at that point. He talks about it in Galatians, Galatians the book of Galatians. Is that if you add anything to Jesus, it's a false gospel. And so here, we've got to make sure that there's nothing that we're adding to the gospel in order to uh, have people come and experience the love and, and grace and mercy of Jesus. So let's pray, and we're going to dive right into um, Ephesians 2. Father, I thank you for today. God, teach us something new about you. Help us to be able to be the hands and feet of you. Help us to not add to or not take away from the gospel. But let us just experience you and the love that, we, that you have for us through Jesus. God, I pray that you help us to uh, tear down, uh, ultimately kill all walls of hostility, of division among us. God, allow us to be your people on your mission. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going to dive right into Ephesians 2 here, and we're going to see what was causing division among them. And it said, Therefore, remember 
that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And so we're going to talk about circumcision here. And, and I want to really discuss just what it meant to the Jews. Like we talk about circumcision today and you're like, hold up, let's, if you don't know what circumcision is, call your doctor. He'll explain it. Um, you know, and, and, and you just thank me later, okay? But here, thank goodness we don't really remember circumcision. Like, it's something we do to uh, baby boys when we're, like, we can't remember anything, right? And praise God that I don't remember that. But back then, this was something huge for the Jews. And I want to take you to Genesis real quick, uh, chapter 17, verse 13, because here it is, Abraham... This man who was walking earth, God decided to choose him to start the Jewish nation through. Now realize the Jewish nation isn't here. It's, it's not like, oh, Abraham was born and the Jewish nation was born. I mean, he truly was a Gentile at this point because there was no Jewish nation. But God shows up and says, you know what? At age 75, I'm going to give you a son and you're going to uh, and you're going to be, and you're going to bless the nations through him. We're going to. He's, he's like, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to bless you with land. I'm going to bless you with uh, offspring. I'm going to bless you uh, and call you the father of many nations. And not only that, but we are going to bless all nations through you. And as followers of Jesus, we know that Jesus was born through the lineage of Abraham. And so that covenant has been fulfilled through the works of Jesus on the cross. But at age 99, okay, at age 99, God shows up to Abraham again. And he says, I am going to fulfill this covenant. And my covenant will be an everlasting covenant to you. But in order to be set apart, to be different from other nations, there is a requirement in your flesh that you must do. And so then he gets to verse 13 here. And he says this, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money. So whether it's uh, someone that is born into your family or a slave in your house shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So I want you to see this. What it was saying is, is you are going to be set apart by circumcision. And in order to do this, every time you give birth, by eight days, if it's a male, you circumcise it. So it's an everlasting covenant. It's something to remind that God has been faithful in giving us an offspring, in making us a nation. And they, they, they say we are a part of that covenant by being circumcised on day eight of, of being born. And he says any uncircumcised male at this point will be cut off. You won't be a part of uh, the Jewish nation. You won't be a part of God's chosen people. In fact, you have broken the covenant that God has set up for you. So this is, this is it. This is what's, why it was so important to the Jews because generation after generation after generation after generation has gone through this and they are God's chosen people based off of this covenant given to the father of the nation. And so here it is, they're at, this, they're at this wall, they're at this time when Gentiles are being brought into uh, the faith family, this idea of Jesus died for everyone, and they're bringing it to the table. They say, okay, it's 
praise God that you Gentiles are on board with us, that you are saved by faith through Jesus, the Messiah that we've been waiting to come. But you've got, it's not that in order to be a part of God's chosen people, you've got to be circumcised. And the Gentiles are over here on this other side saying, I don't remember that fine print. Right? I remember Paul coming and saying, hey, you need to believe, uh, in, you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Sign here and below that fine print, you got to be circumcised. And they're like, oh, if I would have known that, I would have stayed in bed on that morning. Right? Like I, I would not have come and followed Jesus based off of the fact that I need to be circumcised. And so this wall of division is coming up because they're adding to the gospel. And we see that. The moment that we start labeling anybody is the moment that we start really bringing just this divisive words into our vocabulary. Think about this. Like when we talk about politics, Republicans and Democrats, automatically a wall of division will come up there. When we talk about race, when we talk about all of these different things, just outside of these walls, there's walls of division among people because we are divisive people. And they happened in the church. And this was important to the Jews. And they say, okay, this is why it's important because it's a covenant. And we do that today. Like, I grew up in a very fundamental conservative church. I had a friend that was more charismatic. And I remember my high school year, one of my high school years, maybe my junior or senior year, I went to an event with his church downtown Fort Worth. The event was amazing. Like, they had a huge band come in and play, and it was, it was just something that I hadn't experienced a lot before outside of the choir, you know? And it was just this awesome time to come and experience this uh, worship through band, and then the speaker was amazing. I remember thinking, man, the speaker knows what he's talking about. And then he started speaking in tongues, right? And we'll do this. Jesus plus speaking in tongues equals a Christ follower. And he started speaking in tongues, and I thought, oh, what's going on? Because I know, I know speaking in tongues is a gift, but it's not my gift. Like, I have not been gifted with speaking in tongues. I know some of you have. I've sat out here and heard you personally pray, some of y'all personally pray to God with tongues and praise God that he's given you that gift. I don't have that gift. I didn't have it then. And I remember seeing the speaker and he was speaking in tongues and some other people started speaking in tongues and, you know, getting all joyful and uh, filled with the spirit. And I remember like looking over to my friend and saying, hey, what's he saying up there? And I remember his comment to this day. He said, Brian, if you were a true follower of Jesus, you'd have his spirit inside of you and you'd be able to understand the speaker up there because you had the same spirit. And immediately, immediately a wall of hostility came. Like, who are you to say that my whole childhood, my whole walk with Christ, my whole experience with God and the way that he spoke to me meant nothing? Like, wasn't real. Because I can Jesus juke you all day long, right? And I can tell you that there should be somebody up there interpreting right now in order for me to understand it. Because what's the need of an interpreter if everybody can speak in tongues, right? But there wasn't. And I remember that wall of hostility saying, it's Jesus plus speaking in tongues. And if we're not careful, we're going to add things to the gospel even today that people will 
realize and, and not experience the love of Jesus. So Paul, Paul puts it this way here. He says, hey, remember, remember, talking to the, to, the, uh, to the Gentiles, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God. Like, do you remember that at one point you were separated? That you didn't have Christ. Like our problem sometimes as followers of Jesus is, is we've experienced Jesus in multiple ways and on different levels that we look back at people and we say, why haven't you come farther? Or we try to compare ourselves to, to someone that, that is farther along in their walk and we think, man, maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do because I'm not that far yet. And the problem is, is Paul puts, Paul illustrates this in the way that we run the race, right? We run a race. Our spiritual walk is a race. But the thing is, is nobody else can run the race for you. Like you're not running your spouse's race. So today, as we look through this, let's really take a look and, and say, you know what? This message isn't for my spouse. This message isn't for my kids or the person sitting next to me. This message is for me. Because you don't run somebody else's race. You run yours. And the moment that we look back to somebody and go, you know what? We came and we, 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 we entered into salvation at the same time. We were baptized at the same time at Stone Point Church. We look back and say, why haven't you come farther? Catch up. That's not what the gospel is. Like that's starting to build hostility between one another. The idea of the running the race and spurring one another on and encouraging one another on and admonishing one another is to look back and say, you know what? You're not up here yet. What can I do to come back and help you? Spurring on isn't looking back and going, hey, catch up. It's what can I, how can I serve you? How can I give? How can I do something different in order to walk alongside of you in this race? It's encouraging. It's pushing on. And so we've got to be careful with what we do and where we are because he's saying, remember, you once were there. You once too were there. But you're not anymore. And praise God, that should make us realize, God, thank you for how long, how far you've gotten me. Thank you for, for teaching me. Thank you for moving me along in this process. But I do pray that you give me the grace and love and mercy that, 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 that you've given me to give to other people and bring them along. I mean, have you ever felt alienated or strangers? Like my wife and I, we went to... Uh, Europe, our first anniversary, because we knew that if we had kids, we couldn't afford it, right? And so we uh, decided to t take a trip to Europe, and um, we decided to do it before kids, because nobody wants to carry a newborn on a plane 17 hours. Like, like that's a sin in itself. I think it's, it's one of the 11th commandments, you know? But the thing is, is like we were, we were like, let's go to Europe. And so we flew into Paris. We rode overnight trains. We rode down to Milan, Italy, uh, down to uh, Rome, Italy, back up to Vienna, Austria, back to Giverne in uh, France there where uh, Monet uh, lived, the painter Monet. Uh, because he's my wife's favorite artist, and he had gardens where he painted the lily pads and all this stuff. We visited his gardens, and we went back to Paris and flew home. But I'm going to tell you, being strangers in this land, we went to Giverny, and we ate at this, like, I would say, what's equivalent to a mom-and-pop restaurant here. So we get there, and there's, like, no uh, English words whatsoever in, in, this, in the menu. 
And the waitress didn't speak English. And so my wife, we remember that she just pointed to something and it ended up being some pork dish. And if you know Amy, she didn't grow up on pork. She doesn't like pork. And so it was kind of comical. But I do remember this one instant where we felt like strangers and aliens, in fact, almost embarrassed to be uh, not from France. We were, uh, as soon as we got into Paris, we got on the... uh, the train, the, the subway, whatever you want to call it there. Uh, the idea of the train that goes between uh, Fort Worth and Dallas really fast, you know, the Texas, whatever. I don't, I've been on it. I can't even remember what it's called. But we got on there, in, and we got on, and of course, all around the train were words in French. We don't speak French. We don't read French. In fact, I took Spanish in high school, and I don't remember a lick of it. But we were on there, the intercom, the guy over the intercom was speaking French. He didn't speak English. And so we're riding this train, and we get to this station. And I'm assuming, still at this time, because I don't know what he said, I'm assuming that the guy on the train over the intercom said something to this effect. This is the last station, get your butt off the train, right? Probably a little more eloquent because it's French, you know, and, but we couldn't understand it. And so... We might have been in our own world at that time, or maybe we thought that this was like a hub for wherever people got on and off the train, but we stayed on the train. Everybody else got off. And so the train went on down and got parked in the little train cubbies, wherever you go, and the electricity, I mean, it shut off. No electricity is train. So my wife and I are looking at each other, and we're like, okay, I guess it's time to get off the train, Right? And we get to the doors, and like I'm prying one door open, she's prying the other door open, and we get out, and we start, see, we start walking back up to the train station. We can see the train station, and we're walking along kind of where the tracks are, maybe walking on the tracks, I don't remember. Probably on the tracks, right, because we're Americans and we can do that. But we get up almost to the train station, there's somebody that starts yelling at us in French, right? We can't understand him. We can't, we're too far enough, far, far away to be able to have a conversation. So we keep walking. He's like doing this number, keep yelling at us, keep yelling at us. And we get up really close and Amy goes, bonjour. Because that's, you know, the, the way you greet people in, in France. And it's like a light bulb went off in the guy's head. And he goes, aha, tourist, get off the track. And it's this idea that this warning that a train may be coming or there's a, you know, electricity going through somewhere, these tracks, and you need to get off of it right now. And he was trying to give us a warning, but we couldn't understand the language. We felt embarrassed. We felt like, okay, we are you know, Texans in a land that we don't belong in. And this guy is just trying to be friendly and give us a warning And that's what it feels like sometimes in church, like being strangers and aliens in a land. And like, I don't know where you are, but I have friends that don't understand God. I have friends that don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. I got friends that live a life with no purpose. And that's what it feels like, feeling like a stranger and alien in a land, not understanding the instructions of life, not being able to understand the warnings of life, not being able to understand the Creator that created us for a purpose. Because if we have life and we're living it with no God, with no hope 
without God in this world, then life can be pretty depressing. It can be pretty mundane. It can be pretty hopeless and meaningless because without purpose, our life is meaningless. Think about it. Like I'll go through my day. We wake up, right? We've got six kids at the house. They don't pay for anything. In fact, they mooch off of us their entire lives. We have to go to work in order to feed my kids. So I got six kids that I wake up and get breakfast for, right? We get them breakfast. We make sure that they get clothes that we paid for. We get them ready for school. We take them to school, and then we go to work. We go to work because we got to afford our food for our kids. We go to work, and we uh, do the same thing over and over, day by day, right? We get home, and we do homework with the kids so that we can help them be smarter than they actually are, right? We just try to move them along in education. We fix dinner so that we can eat together. We might pray, we may, or we pray, we may go outside and play a game. We may play a board game inside. We may watch a movie. We may talk about what God's doing in our lives. We do a lot of number of things after dinner. Then we have book time where we read from eight o'clock till it's time to go to bed. And then they go to bed. We brush teeth. We Get them ready for bed. They put them, we put them down. Then we've got our time, which is usually cleaning and getting ready for the next day, right? And then we go to sleep exhausted, only to wake up and do the same thing over and over and over again. The next day, the next day, the next month, the next year, the next year, the next year. And pretty soon at age 99, we die. Life is meaningless. And without purpose... Life has no meaning. And so to live without God is to truly live without hope, to live without purpose. And we find out that in Ephesians, right, that God created us to do good works, to walk in them, to have a purpose, to live for Him. And when we don't know the Creator that created us nine months in our mother's stomach to to live for Him, to meet Him, and to to know Him and to give us purpose, then our life is meaningless. And that's what it's saying here, that we once had no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wasn't brought near by circumcision. Wasn't brought near by your works. Wasn't brought near by baptism, by speaking in tongues. Wasn't brought brought, brought near by uh, tithing to a church. No, you were brought near simply by what Christ did on the cross. We once were far off. We can't be brought near except by the blood of Jesus. He keeps going. He says, for he himself is our peace. This is huge. Christ brings us peace. Christ makes peace. But not only that, he is our peace. Like a life without meaning, without purpose, is chaotic. And the only thing that can make sense of this life, can make sense of this world, can make sense of what we do, is Christ. He is our peace. He is the foundation that our life should be a stand upon. He is the reason we get up in the morning. He is the reason that we lay down at night. He is the reason that we walk this earth and speak of His story. He is our peace who, made, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down in his flesh the act of on his death on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility. He's saying this, like Jesus plus nothing 
is the gospel. He's broken down that wall. In fact, the wall that he's talking about is, is the wall in the temple. There were the place where the Jewish men would go in the temple. There was some, right behind them was a place where the Jewish women would go. And then there was a dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And in a way, he's, what they're saying is they're, they're breaking down this wall of hostility by his work on the cross. He says by abolishing, he's breaking down this uh, wall by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And I want you to see who's writing this here. This is Paul, again, who knows so much more of the Bible than we do. Like he devoted his whole life to the law. By age 12, he memorized all the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. I mean, Probably the majority of us in this room didn't know our social security number by age 12. This guy knew the first five books of the Bible by age 12. And he devoted his life to destroying anything that was against the law. And then he experienced Jesus. And, he helped him re- and it helped him realize that the law was made for one thing. To point out that we are fallible that we are sinners, that we make mistakes, and there's nothing that we can do to bridge the gap by God's standard of perfection. So the moment that you hear, hey, lying is wrong, it is a sin, and you know that you've lied, now you know that you're not perfect. And God's standard is perfection. It's to, in order to have a relationship with me, is to be perfect, to be holy as I am holy. And we fall short of that. And we need somebody to stand in the gap. And that person that stands in the gap is Jesus because he walked 33 years and lived a perfect life to give us his righteousness, to one day stand before God. Brandon asked this question last week. If you go to heaven, if you were to die tonight, are you 100% sure that you can go to heaven? And I'm based on me, I'm in trouble. Based on what I do, there's no way that I can get to heaven. Because it's not about, about what I do. It's by grace that you have saved through faith, through Jesus. I can guarantee you that I, can be, that I will be standing before God in heaven and he will let me in, not based off of me, but based off of what Christ has done on my behalf. I'm 100% sure based off of Jesus because he lived the perfect life and he stands before me and says he is my brother and I will give him my righteousness and take his sin. That's what he's saying, that he's abolished the law, that the law points that we need him. And he's come to fulfill it. That he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so no longer is there Jew or Gentile, but there's one man, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God. So Jew needs to be reconciled to God. Gentile needs to be reconciled to God. And we can't do it upon our own. It's It's Christ in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Like that wall wasn't just swept under the rug. The wall wasn't just removed and put over to the corner to be brought back later. No, plan A has always been and always will be Jesus. Salvation through Christ alone in His work on the cross. To confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. 
That is salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone. And the time that we bring up walls of hostility, division, and add to the gospel has nothing to do with Jesus or God. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We have to realize that, that he is not bringing up the wall. We do. We cause division. We cause hostility. And we've got to, be real, we've got to realize that Christ came to destroy that, to kill that. So that we could walk in unity as one body in peace. It says, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off. He preached peace to the Gentiles and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father. I love this verse. Just like in the very first week in Ephesians, we saw where God the Father gets glory, God the Son gets glory, and God the Holy Spirit gets glory. We get to see all three working here. For it's through Jesus, God the Son, that did a work for us, gives us God the Spirit in us, that we can have access to the God the Father. It's the Trinity all working at one just for us. He says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer do you not speak the same language. No longer do you, can you not understand the instructions or the warnings. Or no longer can you not have a relationship with me. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. No longer are you aliens. You're foreigners, but you're as if you were born in the nation of Israel. And you are not only that, but you're a family. You're a son or daughter of Jesus. Not based off of what you did, but only what God did. And I used this illustration in week one that um, in Edgewood, that we adopted our three younger kids not based off of what they did or what was done to them, or really what they were going to do. Like we didn't adopt them into our family based off of their future because we know it's going to be a hard road ahead. We simply adopted them and made them as if they were one of our own because we love them. And that's what God did for Gentiles. He loves us so much. It's not based off of what we've done or what was done to us or what we're going to do. It's simply based off of his love. And he brings us near. He gives us an inheritance. He lavishes on us his grace and mercy. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He says, this is it. This is what ties us all together, Jews and Gentiles. He says, the prophets well, who wrote the Old Testament and prophesied to the coming Messiah. That's the faith that they had as Jews, is that there was a Messiah coming, that there was the promised one that would save Israel, the nation of Israel, that would bless all nations. And so the Jewish people looked forward to, had faith in the coming Messiah, wrote through the prophets. The apostles were those that saw Jesus and walked with Jesus and brought the gospel, the good news, to Gentiles. It says the Old Testament points to Jesus, has faith in Jesus. The New Testament is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he points this out. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. The foundation is God's plan for humanity. It's history. But the most important time in human history is Jesus. It's always been and always will be about Jesus. He's the cornerstone that 
that puts it all together. In whom the whole structure, all of it, being joined together, grows into the holy temple of, in the Lord. And the Jews are over here going, yes, the temple, because the temple was so important to them because there was the holy of holies, right, where God's spirit dwelt. And in there, the high priest would go before God and seek forgiveness for the sins of the people of Israel. And it was so holy that they had to tie a rope around the guy's ankle, the high priest's ankle. That way, if he passed away in the Holy of Holies, he would be drug out because no one else could go into the presence of God. And the high priest would go in there and seek forgiveness. They would go and worship. They would experience community at the temple. And the Jews are saying, yes, the temple is important. But then Paul does something amazing here. He goes to the next verse and he says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. For God by the Spirit. And he takes the word temple out. Because when Jesus died, the Holy of Holies, the dividing curtain, the dividing wall between God and his people was torn in two. He says, no longer do we need to dwell in a temple made by human hands. No longer does God's presence need to dwell in the Holy of Holies. In fact, he never wanted a temple. He wanted a people. And it got torn apart by the act of Jesus on the cross. He says, in you, I give this, you are made into a dwelling place for my spirit. So when God the Father had a plan for God the Son to come, once you believe and confess in him, God places his spirit in you. You are a dwelling place for his spirit. And once we receive that, we are guided by that. We're given purpose by that. We're given abilities by him. And we can sit there and say, you know what, now I have purpose and meaning and have received the grace and mercy and God lives in me so that I can be the hands and feet and give grace and mercy to those that don't yet have it. So I don't know where you are today in your faith. I don't know if you're, you came here the first time here at Stone Point and you come and you realize you have no hope. That you're living in a world without God. I pray that you meet God today. I pray that you get to know him through people here at Stone Point that love you no matter what, that treat you as if you belong. Because here at Stone Point, we don't want walls that are divisive. We don't want walls of hostility where you walk in and you feel as if you don't belong. We want you here. We want you to experience the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. The way it was poured out upon us, we once were far, we're now near, and we walk with purpose. And I pray that you can understand that today that you have a purpose, and God wants to adopt you into his family. Now, if you have, praise God, but let's stop building walls. Let's stop making it about ourselves. Let's stop adding to the gospel. And let's just love and give mercy to those around us so that they can experience that same love that was given to us because we once were far off and now we're near. Let's look back and say, hey, don't worry about catching up. I'm coming back to you. And help them understand the gospel. We have a mission. We have purpose, church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I pray that you help us to know that we have purpose in you and you only. God, you are the one that chose us. And for some reason, you have allowed us into your story. And God, I thank you for that. God, give us the spirit of love and mercy and peace that we can show others that same love and spirit and peace that, that you've given us, God. God, help us to not be divisive among ourselves. Let's help us not add to the gospel. It's simply what Jesus has done on the cross that allows us to come near to you. 
God, forgive us where we have added to the gospel. Allow us to be true hands and feet of you. God, I thank you for giving us purpose. I thank you for giving our lives meaning. And I pray that you just help us to walk in spirit day by day, showing those your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.